Welcome to the. It's <laughs> 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 you guys. Got I don't know if I, we didn't I, do anything. I just don't know if we're gonna get through this podcast. <laughs> All right, here we go. We Welcome to the 11th episode of our Think Differently and Deeply podcast series. My name is Glenn Whitman, and I direct the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School. This series features authors from the latest volume of the CTTL's internationally recognized publication, Think Differently and Deeply, which has been distributed to over 10,000 teachers, school leaders, and policymakers worldwide. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with two of my colleagues here at the CTTL, Julia Dean and Molly Magner. Julia teaches English in addition to her role as a CTTL's Program Development and Innovation Associate. Molly, a math teacher and our former program coordinator and digital media manager, is in her first year as a dean of students in the middle school. Molly and Julia juggle a lot here at St. Andrews, but they were able to take out the time to collaborate on an article about metacognition for volume three of Think Differently and Deeply. Welcome, Molly and Julia, to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. So talk to me about your interest in writing an article about metacognition for Think Differently and Deeply. So Molly and I work very closely, especially on our Science of Teaching and School Leadership Academy. And one of the things that we uh, noticed when we were listening to other presentations is that this word metacognition caused some teachers to, um, to pause. Maybe they didn't know what metacognition was. It sounded fancy, uh, but uh, it's actually one of the most important things that teachers can learn about and use with their students. So we, we work really well together, I think. <laughs> and uh, at least from, from my end. Uh, I and, can attest uh, to that. You guys okay, work good. well together. <laughs> and so uh, we knew we wanted to do something together. Uh, and people usually think of math and English as so uh, such distinct subjects, but really there's a lot of common ground between the two. Molly, do you want to add anything? Well, it all started when we were coming back from a Learning in the Brain conference and we were sitting next to each other on the flight back to D.C. And... I think I was grading a test and you were working on some assignment and what we were doing was so similar even though the content was so different and it's because it hinged on metacognition. And so that's sort of when we late night on a plane decided this is what we'll write about and we'll write about together. Fantastic. So talk to me about how you pulled it off though. What was the writing process? Uh, you know, you had a, a, an English teacher who teaches writing you had a math teacher who probably does a little less writing in her discipline. My question is, what was your writing process then like um, as a team? I was super intimidated as the math teacher to write with an English teacher because I just don't think of writing as my thing. And it was a really interesting, exciting process. We sat together and we brainstormed and talked a lot before writing anything about our experience and gave each other good feedback when something stood out and just dumped ideas down. And then we started the whole actual formalizing it and writing it. So my question for both of you then is, you know, you talked about you were inspired to write this article as you're flying back from uh, Learning the Brain. Was it the Boston Conference, New York, San Francisco? Where were you? Yeah, Boston. Remember. We've been to so many. So many. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been any. How did each of you first learn about this uh, mind-brain education concept called uh, metacognition? 
I remember, I think it was you and Glenn and Ian also love this Education Endowment Foundation chart on metacognition. Uh, and I remember looking at all the different ways you could think about metacognition and incorporate in your practice. And one of the ones that stuck with me that we talk about in our article is is actually modeling thinking out loud for the teachers because metacognition at its core is thinking about thinking and you're realizing how you're thinking about a subject and modeling it in our different disciplines. So in English, that looks like um, perhaps reading a text and going through and asking questions like you would, but voicing them aloud to the students about what's happening. What does that word mean? You know, and, and thinking about the character development and, and basically modeling how to annotate a story, but saying it out loud for the students to understand your own thinking process. And in math, Molly can speak to how that looks, but, um, but that, was, that was when I started really thinking deeply about how I can model metacognition for my students and talk to them about it um, so they weren't intimidated by the term. I think we both did a lot of reading about it to learn more, but it is this fancy term that in reality is such a basic concept. And that's, I personally, what drew me to it was it's something we're constantly doing. We're always thinking about ourselves and thinking about our thinking. And it seems so pie in the sky when reality it's happening all around us constantly. And if you can encourage it more in your students, then you know, you can see more success. And that's, I think, what excited us both is that it's this basic idea that just needs to be incorporated more formally. One of the things you address in the article, which I think is really important, is the misunderstanding between the term reflection and metacognition. So I didn't know if you guys could elaborate on that, because I do think it's nuanced enough, uh, and both are equally important into the teaching and learning process. But I'd love you to just uh, elaborate on that on a bit for, for the uh, listening audience. So I'll start. Uh, what I see as a difference between reflection and metacognition is that reflection can be about kind of any topic. You can reflect on a movie you just watched or a show or uh, a book that you just read, but metacognition is really thinking about how you have thought through a process or completed an assignment or a paper and thinking about what you did to prepare for that, what you did during the process, and then what did you do after and how could you change that process so it's better. Um, so it's more directed at one's own thinking process rather than something that's outside of oneself. Sure. Yep. That, that makes sense. And I think the thing that Julie and I both agreed on was that precision was really important. And so like precision of language and labeling is super important. And for me in math, we do reflect after every assessment. The big difference that I saw in myself was I would have students just be more precise about their mistakes and their errors, and they're so quick to call things silly mistakes or careless errors, or I just messed up. I wasn't paying attention. I was rushing. And, you know, when you really hone in and talk about what happened in that mistake or why you did a problem wrong and reevaluate that process, like Julia said, that's when the learning happens more. And sticking with that point, Molly, what impact have you seen or are you seeing on uh, students who build in metacognitive practices or the teacher who builds metacognitive practices in, into their instructional design? There's not an assignment that I give out now that doesn't have some sort of metacognition moment in it. I love it because we call it M squared for math uh, in no, math, no, the math no, world. No. <laughs> um, so every single assignment, I actually just made a review packet this morning. And after every section, every concept, there was a place for them to pause and reflect or think through, how did this feel for me? What do I need to work on more? How did I feel while I was doing them? And 
what I've seen in my middle school students is that that process has become more natural for them because from the beginning of the year, that's something they're doing on every single assignment. And so my hope is that that's something they start doing naturally on their own. Um, so I've definitely seen that shift. And just in the way that they talk about their work in class, it, it has more precise language and analysis to what they're doing, which I think deepens their understanding. And what about you, Julia? What impact are you seeing with metacognitive practices in your teaching of English? Sure. Similar to Molly, I see that students, because I've interwoven metacognitive moments in English throughout the year, because of that, I see now third trimester, uh, for instance, with my ninth grade students, I had them write uh, their own interim comment, what would that look like? And almost all of them were spot on. They knew what they needed to work on. They could write their own interim comment, um, which is just basically feedback on how they're doing, what their areas of growth are and what their strengths are because they had those opportunities throughout the year to pause and reflect and um, and answer targeted questions from me about how their thinking process was going, what about writing was challenging, uh, what have they done to, to meet that challenge. And so um, so I've tried to, to model that throughout the year. And so it's been gratifying now to see them really taking ownership of that and knowing what they need to work on. And then the next step being to, to do it. Yeah. So it was interesting for those listening, um, if you were able to read the printed version, you guys did something that was, uh, uh, to be honest, when you guys proposed the idea, I didn't know how you were going to pull it off, but you, you said <laughs> you were going to build metacognition into your actual article. So talk to us about why you did that and also why the approach you took, which was actually, you know, you leverage, it looks like some some Project Zero mm-hmm. visible thinking routine um, that is growing in prominence, certainly both at our school and schools around the country. Julie and I both love the thinking routine of I used to think and now I think. And so we wanted to incorporate that at the end of each part of our article. And, you know, for, un- for two reasons. The first being, uh, we both believe it's important to model to your students this process of metacognition. So this was us modeling our process to the readers. But it also helped us make sure that what we were saying in our article actually did line up and demonstrate some change in what we were doing in our classroom. So it was a good moment to pause at each part of the article and say, is this really what we're doing? Has it changed our thinking? And are we better teachers because of it? The other thing I'll add is that we know that for us, metacognition initially, you know, seemed like it was hard to grasp, but mm-hmm. but visible thinking routines like I used to think, but now I think are an easy way for teachers to incorporate that into their practice. So I encourage you as listeners to try it out with your <laughs> students, right? I used to think blank about whatever subject it is. And that's what I love about this routine is that it's applicable to all disciplines, um, any content you can do. Uh, so it's an easy way to incorporate metacognition if you're trying to figure out where to start. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think the uh, the Project Zero work around visible thinking, uh, you know, they have great routines, see, think, wonder, mm-hmm. right? Compass points, uh, highly encourage um, both our faculty as well as those listening to uh, leverage those um, routines in their practice. What You know, you, you guys alluded to this. I mean, you guys know we're, we're all fans of uh, Dan Willingham's work. Dan was on a podcast of ours uh, not too long ago. And I love his quote that actually Ian often references is that learning happens when students think hard, right? How hard is it over the course of a year to get students to develop metacognition skills in your classes? 
I think the biggest obstacle in letting students think hard is us. I know I get in my own way sometimes because I love my students and I want to help them and fix their problems and I don't want to see them struggle. And so I oftentimes come in and help them too soon. And so getting them to think hard is sort of like I'm my own obstacle there. I have to get out of their way and get out of my way and let them think hard. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny. We were um we just we just visited with a a good ally of our work, David Daniel at James Madison University. And in his workplace, uh, he had this sign that says, "Never give students the answer." And I was really intrigued by that, right? I mean, and um, if we don't give them the answer, it's going to force them to, to reflect not only on the wor- their body of work they're doing, but also then use metacognitive skills to uh, think about their own thinking. Uh, but wh- what about you, Julie, in, in English class? Students sometimes don't want to work as hard as we want them to. Mm-hmm. Metacognition is not easy. Um, so I'm just curious to know how you've either won them over or maybe in the opposite, broke them down. Yeah. <laughs> what Molly said really resonated with me because my impulse, my immediate impulse is to answer that question the student has. For me, at least my area of growth as a teacher is to not give the immediate answer, to pause and ask a question instead and have that student go through that process of thinking for themselves how they could find the answer. Uh, and I know Christine Lewis, uh, who's a colleague of ours, said something that resonated with me uh, recently, a presentation for Frederick County Public School Learning Specialists about how careful you need to talk to kids and affirming them, or if they ask for validation, asking them questions and getting them to be um, really to be proud of themselves rather than relying on you for praise and for answers. I think those things go hand in hand. Um, so it's it's challenging, and I, I think it involves me uh, as a teacher practicing what I preach and doing my own metacognitive work about how did I do well in that lesson, and what didn't go so well, and what did I do to prepare or not prepare, and and modeling that for the students as well, and hopefully in that, showing that I'm vulnerable too, and I make mistakes, and I'm growing, and metacognition is is hard, um, so hopefully to win over those kids who are initially reluctant. You know, Julie, you brought up an interesting point there. I was going to ask you, so you had a good setup, is how uh, deliberate are you in your own metacognitive um, work around how you designed a class or an assessment or how you prepared for an interaction with a student or a parent. Where is metacognition built into each of your professional practices? I have a type list of class objectives that I use for every class of kind of, it's for mostly for me and sometimes I project it to the board for especially my ninth graders who want to know what's coming next. Um, but after class, and I don't always do this, but I but I try to, especially if there's something, I was like, ooh, I could really work on that, make a comment or a note in Google Docs right next to that part of class. And I've actually used my um, class objectives from last year to look through and I was like, oh, that really didn't work or that activity worked and here was my note about it. Uh, so I'd like to become more disciplined in that because it's easy as teachers to have that intention and then a student comes in and then we forget. Uh, but that's how I've tried to incorporate metacognition in my own practice. I think I was inspired by Julia to do the same thing um, because I do keep a list of 
what, what I'm doing in class and I try to go in there and type in this didn't work or they needed more help with X or whatever, but uh, it doesn't always work. So one other thing I've started doing <laughs> is while my students are taking a test or a quiz, I write notes on that test or quiz because that is something I actually do keep. I did that last year and then I, I pull it out right before I'm starting that unit this year and I'll see, oh, you didn't you know spend enough time last year on this concept, you need to do that, or they have a hard time grasping, whatever. And so that helps me, but I'm, I'm big on having to write it down or else it doesn't stick. What, what about, you know, um, isn't, isn't metacognition just a fancy word for just ask good questions of yourself, of your, your practice? I mean, you know, I was thinking about your title of your piece, right? Metacognition in action across disciplines. And I, I really do believe um, the, the the English math pairing was an important one. You don't usually see that interdisciplinary group. Um, but I also think you could have easily called this thing the, just the power of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, aren't we, aren't, isn't just about, you know, answering and asking ourselves uh, good questions about the learning process? I would say 100% that's it. And I've learned that a lot through trying to incorporate metacognition because, I see more success when I do write out better questions. Uh, at first, in my metacognition moment in the math packets, it used to just be one through five, how did you feel? And that's fine because at least you get some reading on how they're doing. But now I'm, I'm definitely more specific and that makes them have to answer more specific and think a little harder, which is what we want them to do. So yeah, I think questions are definitely at the heart of metacognition. But you do highlight the point where you're thinking of going from a quick one through five, mm -hmm. how do you feel metacognition moment really has evolved in something uh, a little more sophisticated, elaborate, or gets under the um, surface a little bit. And it's not even that hard or sophisticated. I wish it was. <laughs> but just push it. Yeah, I know. Credit. I'm trying. Come no, on, it is. It's pretty good, on. but it is not that sophisticated. Because I'm just trying to tell you that it's not that hard. You know, it's, it's just as But it easy. takes time. Yeah, it takes a little time. But what about a teacher said, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for metacognition. Baloney. <laughs> okay, I, as I tell my students, can you elaborate on that response? Right, you know, teachers, teachers who are listening to this have for sure. they, they they have limited time. You know, metacognition will take away from my ability to cover content. I completely agree, but I think one of my favorite things about being at St. Andrews is that nobody's pressuring me to get through a certain amount of content, and I think. What I have noticed is I might get to three less practice problems in class, but what they did learn is going to stick with them longer and they're developing better thinking routines. And that's really, especially as a middle school teacher, and I'm sure the same for ninth and 10th grade English and all that is I want students to learn student skills more than I want them to learn how to combine like terms. I think combining like terms is great, but at the end of the day, I'd rather them know how to approach a problem. Um, so for me, metacognition is more important, so... I'll just add that I think the skill of asking good questions is something that students do not innately have. And so even asking, even with my stronger students, because I, I want to think about how to challenge them too, I'll ask them, what kind of question would you craft that's going to make your students, your fellow students think hard? Mm -hmm. And it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And so it's one way in which we can really challenge those high-performing students to uh, dig deep and ask questions that 
or address critical thinking skills uh, that's going to help them in the future as well. That, that makes sense. Well, I, I think that's a great way to end. I hope we maybe can get a, a future article out of one or both of you on this topic. Um, yeah, high fives appropriate. <laughs> that was the slapping sound you heard. Um, and, and I appreciate both being your colleagues and your uh, taking on this important research informed strategy and sharing it through uh, this volume of Think Differently and Deeply. Thank you. Thank you. At St. Andrews, we often end our classes with some form of exit ticket or active retrieval of information that was a focal point of the day's class. We know from mind, brain, and education research that if students don't start recalling or using their learning, they are bound to forget it. So in that research-informed spirit, here is your exit ticket that asks you to fill in the blanks. Before listening to this podcast, you used to think blank about metacognition, but now... After listening to this podcast, you are thinking blank about metacognition. Tweet your blanks to at the CTTL. We look forward to seeing what you come up with. The Think Differently and Deeply podcast is a production of the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Potomac, Maryland, where the mission is to know and inspire each child in an inclusive community dedicated to exceptional teaching, learning, and service. Each podcast is produced by Kirsten Peterson, and mixed by Jordan Yance. Jordan also composed our theme music, which we lovingly call The Growth Mindset. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and more. And while you're there, leave us a review. This act of reflection will embed what you've learned from this podcast into your long-term memory.